0: Hey everyone, this episode contains excerpts from a panel discussion I did for the Polymer Material Science and Engineering and Polymer Division of ACS on stress and burnout and depression and anxiety in graduate school. So I hope you uh, enjoy or find this uh, session useful. Also, I cut out the original questions and all of the references to uh, other people on the panel. What is your background and how did you become interested in mental health of academic researchers?
1: Good morning or afternoon or evening as the case may be. My name is Darren Lapome. I'm a professor of nano and chemical engineering at UC San Diego. I'm also the associate dean for students in the School of Engineering. Um, I, uh, I'm a organic materials chemist. All of my degrees are, uh, are in chemistry. Um, I've been an ACS member since 2004, I think. Um, and I, I uh, really appreciate the fact that this panel is being brought together, um, kind of sponsored by, uh, by PIMSI and Polly. That's, uh, that's great. So an intersection of a lot of things that are very important to me. Um, I became interested in mental health uh, issues in graduate education. Um, uh, really since I struggled with my own mental health Issues in in as as a graduate student and prior to that, um, I have a, a YouTube channel and uh, and two podcasts. One of them, Ideas in STEM, that I do in collaboration with our uh, Idea Student Success Center at UC San Diego. The other um, uh, molecular podcasting um, is sort of me and sometimes guests uh, riffing on topics that are important to uh, to graduate students and postdocs and early career research- researchers and. Uh, and and mental health is a is a common uh, uh, topic. So, pleasure to be here and uh, looking forward to this discussion. Is there
0: something special about researchers that make them especially susceptible to mental health challenges?
1: I do feel that there's something special about the brain chemistry, uh, neurology, neurobiology about uh, scientists and engineers um, and people who go into research. I think that we uh, are often people that uh, have a, a degree of perfectionism, which often um, is associated with uh, anxiety about uh, circumstances in which you you may feel imperfect or feel like an imposter. Um, I think you know not to toot our own horns as scientists and engineers that. Um, maybe there's a slightly above average level of creativity that, uh, that uh, people like us exhibit and possibly also um, exogenous effects like being, uh, being bullied for being different when we were in school or perhaps um, even still for some individuals um, that make us especially vulnerable to, uh, to mental health challenges. Um, so there are other issues too like in grad school you have a significant amount of financial insecurity and while we generally have the the impression that that will improve uh, over time. Um, once, you know, we have the PhD salary premium um, during grad school, it's a real, a very real issue. And, uh, and a lot of us, you know, go into debt uh, at the time. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to say like, boo-hoo-hoo scientists have it so bad, you know, eventually things do get better. Um, because there are other sources of, uh, there are other uh, cohorts within society other groups within society people who have uh, working-class jobs um, also people who are um, have the intersection of uh, of being in low socioeconomic status but also a member of a min- of a, a minoritized group um, that have uh, additional layers of 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 stress that some of us do not have, but you know, the 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 short answer is there are some uh, some both personality traits and exogenous uh, effects of 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 being a graduate student that make us uh, especially uh, vulnerable to these types of uh, to stress and burnout. Just want to add as well the asymmetric power relationship between the student and the uh, and the PI um, and the insecurity that that entails.
0: We often hear that academics are not good at saying no. How do you think about how to say no to people, even about opportunities? That um, may another be aspect
1: that one might uh, consider is. Uh, Your relationship to the person asking the question and a lot of times we tend to say yes because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or because we feel maybe obligated to this person or we are flattered that they asked us for our uh, for our input and one of the things that you can do to kind of blunt that uh, that you know bias towards saying saying yes is you say no but you can also help them in some other way in your response for example this is not the type of problem to which i can give you the best solution but maybe this organization or this person or this lab is is closer to your your goals um, closer to helping you achieve your goals and uh, they'll be appreciative Um, sometimes you know they may have had a list of people uh, that they're going to ask for something and maybe you were not the first person on the list and some people ahead of you had already said no so it's important to um, uh, you know it's possible to to manage the relationship and end it and not end it but you know get past that ask in a positive way rather than just feeling like you're saying no I don't have time cuz you know nobody has time right any time we say yes we're saying no to some other things that we could be doing with our time
0: How do you know you are burned out depressed or
1: anxious Sure um usual caveat I am uh, I am not a doctor <laughs> um but I would look at some of your normal homeostatic processes like sleep. Are you sleeping enough? Um, is it difficult to fall asleep? Do you wake up too early or are you sleeping way more than you normally do? Um, do periods of uh do 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 Circumstances and events that normally give you joy fail to do so. Um, are you um, are you responsive to your uh, your friends and family, or are you ignoring them? Um, those uh, those are signs that uh, that I would look for. To me, let me let me add. To me, s- stress and anxiety manifests very physiologically. Sweaty hands, sweaty armpits, um, rapid heart rate, uh, inability to sleep, temporomandibular joint disorder. I've had everything. High blood pressure, and to me, um, to me, anxiety and physiology are very closely linked. And I would uh, and and depression and, and physiology. So I would kind of keep keep track of my vitals. Um, you know, maybe not. In a uh, Star Trek-like chamber, but you know, at least, uh, at least, um, y- y- you know, if uh, it, just how how you feel, right? Um, look at look at your eyes. Are are they getting <laughs> dark and, and so on? Uh, that's a, a always a good sign.
0: How do you respond to a friend or coworker who comes to you with an admission that they might be burned out, depressed, or anxious?
1: Avoid trying to solve uh, their problem outright. I think a lot of times in relationships, especially for scientists and engineers who are used to solving problems and thinking that everything has a formula or a protocol, um, these problems are not that way, and your uh, your intervention. Um, without a lot of listening and listening and listening and asking questions, can be not only unwelcome but also possibly, uh, possibly harmful. Um, so it's it's important to um, to direct the person to the right resources if you're not uh, comfortable or feel qualified um, to uh, to provide advice and probably probably avoid. Um, you know, trying to solve the problem, especially in the first few conversations, right?
0: What are some resources on campus that you can reach out to for coping with anxiety and depression?
1: So universities will have uh, counseling services, um, and those are fantastic, and you should take advantage of them if you if you can. A lot of times, they have very long wait <laughs> wait times, and uh, one I think untapped or unknown resource to graduate students is actually their primary care physician, and it is a lot easier to get an appointment with them if you've already established care. Um, in m- most cases, at least in my institution, than it is to get an appointment with our counseling and psychological services department. And your, uh, your primary care doctor may be able to help themselves um, and they can also make, uh, make referrals. So I think a lot of times people don't see their, their, their physician as a, uh, as a mental health professional but they do have training and you know psychiatric residency um, and they do know a lot more than you might think they do.
0: What are some self-care routines you do as alternative coping strategies for stress burnout and other mental health challenges?
1: I don't want to gloss over counseling and other things that you could do because I think medicalized interventions um, they may seem scary uh, like uh, counseling and to a greater extent psychiatric medication Um, in my particular case it is absolutely vital that I have those things or have had had those things or have some of them now um, or I would uh, not be functional, such as my level of function is, <laughs> um, but in terms of non, uh, non-medicalized uh, self-care routines, um, I at times have been a, a meditator, not so much recently um, because of time, ironically, but when you feel like you don't have time, that's when you most need to do it. Um, <laughs> Uh, I try to exercise and I also try not to compound my uh, my stresses. So if I'm stressed out, I really do try not to, um, you know, sit on the couch instead of getting up and moving my feet or, you know, eating a whole package of Oreos, which I have done in the past. And that just compounds my uh, my misery because then I'm Anxious and depressed about two things instead of one or let's say n plus one things instead of n
0: How do you cope with a mental health challenge or another negative situation that arises because of your relationship with your advisor?
1: We want to avoid a scenario in which we have a, a, an advisor that is known to be abusive I mean, it's an an unfortunate uh, piece of the system that we uh, that some of our uh, faculty colleagues are are awarded on the basis only of research productivity um, and may in fact um, have a lot of attrition uh, of grad students and uh, and students not flourishing, not finding the work that they want to do or um, or leaving the program kind of in their wake of this pursuit of research excellence such as it is. But once a student is in a scenario where you know they couldn't have predicted the type of relationship that it that is developed what do you do then? Well if it's relatively early on, um, I would advise, Somebody to uh, to switch labs. Now there are uh, support services at most universities. A lot of them are not well advertised. Um, but your equivalent of your associate dean for students or your student, whoever your student affairs manager is at the highest level within your division, will be able to point you toward the right resources. So a lot of times they can reach out to prospective advisors. They can help find a TA. Um, or other sources of transition funding, or um, kind of as, as the, the final resort, they can actually um, uh, give you the money. This exists in, in many places for one term in order for you to find another, uh, another situation. However, if it's closer to the end of your PhD or, you know, middle or, or toward the end and it's you've already invested a lot of time, um, you have a research portfolio already or the beginnings of a thesis that's taking, taking shape, and you, of course you don't want to abandon it, right? Uh, you need to come to an agreement with the, the PI, you need to be able to have a tough conversation with your advisor, um, you know, maybe it's, hopefully they don't make it tough and hopefully it's not tough, um, you know if, if it is tough that's I guess part of the, part of the problem but it's something that you absolutely need to do is work out in in writing what the expectations are, what is within your power to accomplish and uh, and come up with a plan in writing <laughs> as to what needs to be what needs to be done and it's uh, you know kind of, uh, cynical or, or non-trusting or whatever to, to insist that it'd be in writing. They may not like that, um, but they, they, they may be your friend in that moment that, that you're asking. You're like, no, it doesn't have to be in writing, but you should insist on it because you don't want them to turn around um, six months later and say, no, you have to kick back your, uh, your PhD defense by another year. Um, you need to have it in writing if it comes to that.
0: Should I feel bad about taking a weekday off for self-care?
1: One of the reasons that you want to take a weekday off is probably because you've been putting in time after 5 p.m. or on the weekends, and you have definitely accumulated enough credit with your yourself and your, your work and your advisor to take a day off, and you can continually internalize the fact that not only have you put in that overtime before, but you probably will in the future.
0: How do you say no or get out of things that you don't want to do?
1: I think one of the so academia has a lot of uh, problems in this regard. Uh, one of the bright spots in academia is that you can take off time during the day um, you sometimes have flexibility that you uh, that you might not have um, if if it's another type of work arrangement um, I mean it's it's a cliche at this this point that in academia you can work any 80 hours a week that you want um, but there is some there is some truth to the fact that if as a grad student, like I could go to like the mall <laughs> during the day, and and it was like okay. Um, in my particular case, not that my advisor wasn't pretty hard hard charging, um, because he he was, but he wasn't checking the back of my uh, my chair for my coat. <laughs> So um, there's at least that kind of uh, levelizing effect in uh, in time management in in graduate school or academia uh, more more broadly. I've now I've reached a point in my career where a lot of people are putting um, stuff on my calendar without my uh, approval, and uh, the the best three letters in the world are DNS, do not schedule, and you can just drag that, uh, <laughs> that block of time as long as you want, and people think it's going to be something super important, like your kid has surgery or something, but it's really because you want to do, you want to go on a hike.
0: How do you work with a PI who is not transparent about their expectations?
1: You have to have the conversation anyway, because no problem was ever solved by not talking about it. And these uh, these people, these PIs who are not transparent about their expectations, they need to be held to account, and they need to know not just for you, but for Future students, that this is the expectation that students have of them, that that uh, that plans be as con- science isn't you know concrete, but that the plan be um, as concrete as it can be given the constraints of you know the way that the natural world works and sometimes doesn't bend to our uh, our wishes
0: what if I need to switch labs at the end of my PhD?
1: Oh yeah, there's just quickly, there's another uh, route that may be uh, applicable in some cases. So if you're in year five or six of a PhD or, or even, you know, year four and you have some work that's completed, there's nothing that says the person who paid your bills, you know, has to be the one to sign off on your thesis in, you know, when you finally defend it is actually possible to switch advisors um, and still present the work that was done under your former lab in your thesis. So advisor and, and doesn't mean, you know, boss and they control you forever, right? You can find somebody maybe that's on your thesis committee um, that, uh, that is willing to allow you to, to move over for the last, even the last six months or, or so.
0: How do I know where the supportive labs are before I join a program?
1: Often, where there is smoke, there is fire. So if you go to the visitation weekend and there are, uh, there's a, a feeling in the air that such and such a PI uh, does not have a climate of openness and trust and in their their program, then you probably want to stay away from that. Uh, that place. I would also look at the placement record of students in the lab. um, If they generally got the job that they wanted, you know, or if there was a lot of attrition, you know, you want to balance those two factors. If a student, if students are getting the jobs that they generally wanted, you know, did they or did they not have support of the advisor? Or is it one of those advisors that said, everyone has to do what I did and become a, a professor and uh, that's kind of absurd because only five percent of PhDs are in those roles and uh, and so that's like a, a huge red flag
0: Do I have to do a PhD to have a fulfilling job in research? Yeah,
1: a PhD is only one of the ways that you can get the kind of experience you want for the life you want to have, the professional life that you want to have and just because you liked school, you liked college, you maybe you liked your undergraduate research lab, um, it doesn't mean that you want to be doing that for four to seven years uh, in graduate school and most of your 20s, typically
0: 20s.